Hey guys, what's going on? Tom Morcus here, and welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches, the podcast where I interview really smart people about the way they do things so you can do those same things better, easier, and faster. Quick shout out to five-star reviewer Jonathan Grzbowski, who had this to say about In the Trenches. Quote, just really, really good content. I listened to this show on the train to work. Always good to gain a new perspective before you turn that computer on. End quote. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. Since you're listening to audio on the train, shoot me an email at tom at tommorcus.com and I'll get you a free copy of The Art of Instigating audiobook. And maybe I'll throw in the ebook or paperback for good measure, especially if you read on the train. Uh, we'll get you the paperback. So shoot me an email and we'll get that taken care of. I appreciate you leaving a review. Speaking of instigating, today I sit down with Edward Kay, a membership technology specialist and founder of Tall Projects, which provides digital services for membership organizations and associations. I brought Edward on the call today to talk about his journey into freelancing, specifically how he keeps his operation lean, how he moved away from trading time for money to a recurring revenue subscription model, and why it's so important to niche down and then maybe niche down some more. My big takeaway from this episode is really that the crux of success is disciplined work. That's it. Show up, do a good job, show up again, do a good job. Wash, rinse, repeat 500 times. And like Vin Diesel would say from knockaround guys, you can consider yourself a legitimate tough guy. That's the underlying truth of what Edward shares. But he also drops some serious gold when it comes to positioning your pricing, selling services, landing great clients, and generally organizing your business and lifestyle so it serves you and not the other way around. Before we get started, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share on social, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or whatever it is that you're into during these corona days. And also, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. An honest five-star review goes a long way to help spread the word about this completely ad-free podcast. Head over to tommorcus.com slash iTunes. That's tommorcus.com slash iTunes. Or search In the Trenches with Tom Morcus on iTunes or Google, and it should show up. All right, enough of that. Ready for the interview? Let's get to it. So Edward, let's start from the beginning. Before we get up to tall projects, kind of the work you're doing right now, I want you to go back a little ways. How'd you get into this line of work? How'd you kind of get started working for yourself in the first place? Sure. So, so my background is in tech. I'm majored in computer science, then worked as a developer for a number of years, then moved to a web agency um, where I took on some more project management and uh, leading a production team of uh, developers to deliver fairly meaty websites. But kind of always knew that I wanted to do something myself um, I was never be satisfied being an employee. I had to do my own thing. Um, and then a few things aligned about six years ago with the kind of upcoming birth of my first child and moving house and just kind of everything. In some ways, everything changed. <laughs> so, um, but in other ways, it was like the perfect time to to make those changes because it's like actually it's a it's a it's a period of um, of change that so was worth um, kind of just going all in, as it were. Um, so that's kind of when I set up just doing my own um, business, which initially was more the traditional sort of freelancer, project manager, kind of consultant uh, approach, which was great as a kind of stepping off point into doing my own thing. Uh, but then it's only been the last sort of, um, sort of three or four years where I've really sort of about four years ago, sort of started finding this niche around um, membership 
and associations, which is where talk projects focus. And then the last sort of, like I say, for three years, building on that of where I've sort of seen it go from the sort of just steady cadence of, of the traditional sort of freelance of feast and famine approach into actually building a business uh, with the sort of uh, the recurring income and the the, uh, the benefits that brings um, and now is you know letting me sort of get to the point where I can sort of look to scale things up. Yeah. So I definitely want to talk about uh, the subscription model, recurring revenue, how you have thought about and implemented that. So we will come back to that topic, but I'm curious from the start, because I just know there's a lot of people who are in that position who are probably freelancing, maybe doing it part-time, um, you know, f- whether it's full-time or part-time, definitely, I think. And anybody who's getting started online, it's a great way to get started. Just to trade, you know, trade your time for dollars. It's a great way to build up a skill set. To this day, I kind of consider myself still a freelancer a little bit. Like I still do freelancing in, in, in a way. Um, but definitely for the first several years. So I, what I want to know about though is, and this is what's tough, I think, for early freelancers is that transition period as you are say you have some kind of core competence but the idea of niching down getting more specific like why why this this area this subject this topic this niche that you're in how did you find that um and how you why did you decide to go that way mm-hmm. so even before i started i knew you know i'd, I'd read the usual blogs and podcasts listened to podcasts and uh, and the books and stuff and i knew that you know, it's all about um if you want to be more than just you trading your time, as you say, for gigs that come and go, you kind of got to build a business and you've got to kind of coalesce around something, some idea. But like, what is it your, what is your value proposition? Um, what were you bringing to the market? What do people know you for? And crucially, what do people know to refer you for and say, you need to speak to X about this because that's what they do really well. So I always knew that there was something I kind of need to nail my colours to the mast about. But I didn't know what it was. You know, I, I sort of went off. As I say, it felt like a big step into the unknown. In hindsight, as in leaving sort of paid employment and just kind of ditching the sort of the steady salary that was paid in each month to having to fend for myself. But without sounding, and I don't want to sound arrogant, but I kind of, when you sort of step back and you think about it logically, there was very little sort of risk to it because chances are, if it hadn't worked out, I kept a good relationship with my previous employer. I probably could have negotiated to come back in there. Equally, there were other similar lines of you know full-time roles that I could have taken with other businesses that I knew. It wasn't, you know, unfortunately, I work in a sort of tech sector where skill is in demand. So there were, when you look at it on a, like I said, on a logical point of view, the risk was fairly minimal. But so that kind of afforded me, once I kind of realized that, it kind of gave me a bit of a, um, a sort of safety net mentally to kind of go, okay, so what are things? And, you know, I, tried, I did a variety of different projects and things. Some came along. Some were clearly not a good fit, so turn them down. Being and Knowing how to turn things down when you know that in your gut they're the wrong thing rather than just seeing sort of, yeah, the paycheck or the, the invoice sort of floating around and thinking, oh, I've got to grab it. And it was really just a case of, if you like having the sort of being attentive to what could I niche into, but not necessarily actively finding that, but then looking at the kind of projects that I was taking on, looking for sort of commonality, looking for certain sectors. And it and then with that, it just so happened um, that I landed, I was doing some work with 
a, like a partner business that I do. They they build a membership um, CRM system. I was doing some work with them in a variety of ways. They had a, a client who'd come that they needed more than just the software. And so I kind of did some bits with that. That then led on to another of their clients who also needed a bit more support. And when you, and that kind of, it was that point where I realized that we were working really well together, me and this um, other business, and in a sector that kind of sat well with me and my values and what I what I look for in terms of my work. Um, and that's kind of you know, building relationships with people and sort of doing it for the sort of the long-term bit rather than the transactional, just um, you know, pay your money, take your product, off you go kind of approach. So it was, and that, that makes sense to me. It was like kind of... Um... It's kind of like revelation, like as you're working, it just exposes itself. And I think that's the case in so many walks of life. It's like any work you're doing, it it's not so much. I think a lot. I think some people over over analyze a little bit in some cases, or or and that's where analysis paralysis comes in. Or they spend almost too, it's like too much mindset um, or too much energy given to like the analytical approach of like choosing a niche versus saying, I think my approach is very similar to yours. I kind of just did what I did and saw where it kind of gravitated naturally. And then sure enough, as soon as I started to get... as a, Once I figured that out, in my case, it was kind of books and publishing. Kind of, It wasn't the original intention, but it kind of grew. And like everything I've done is kind of growing out of just like where things have gone. Just like I kind of let them naturally lead me. But what I, what I found was that then when I started getting more specific about that, the leads started coming in for that. And then all of a sudden, I started getting inquiries into this day. Uh, I, haven't, I don't market it. I don't say anything about it, these kind of things anymore. I will still get um, people who are interested in publishing and, um, and stuff like that. It's funny how just by doing the work in front of you and then saying, okay, yeah, here's an opportunity. I'm going get, to get good at this and kind of establishing yourself and putting up that, that flag, people then kind of start to come to you. Did you find something similar? Exactly that. Yeah. So... It was in terms of finding the niche. You, you, you did right. It's just the same thing of just keeping your eyes and ears open, and just not. In some ways, it's a bit like looking for love or something. You know, if you're looking for it, <laughs> you go out sort of, you know, properly sort of trying to talk to every kind of person that you want. You know, are you the one kind of thing? It's not going to happen. But you know, you just live your life, get on with it, but be open to sort of opportunities. Then you know, things tend to come along, and that's where it, you know exactly that. It was just as I said a minute ago, things aligned, and we got. A few, a few things and it just sort of clicked in terms of well that's a broad area to do and then exactly as you say then it was a case of well actually I could just change the messaging on my website just to kind of clarify that's what it is change sort of what let's say that value proposition you know I used to call struggle to call myself you know in terms of what my job description was it was like project manager but that could be anything really it doesn't mean anything no one goes oh right you'd be really good fit for me now I sort of generally say as membership technology specialist. So people go, oh, okay, that's kind of where I need to go. And it's, it's just subtle changes in language like that that then make people kind of associate you with a specific area. Plus, once you do that, if you kind of go, actually, I am focused on one bit, you'll find that there are existing communities that are also in that thing. So you start ingratiating yourself um, into those networks attending the conference, knowing the kind of key players in it. And because you're not sort of flitting around from one industry to another, you actually start, again, building those relationships and you become known. And exactly that, now I've, you know, I can't remember the last time I did uh, any sort of obvious outbound marketing to try and do it. All of the work that I've had for the last three years or so, or um, if not more, 
has all been just inbound inquiries um, to the point now where you know I've got a waiting list of people who are kind of going, mm, it's really disappointing we can't work with you now. Please let us know as soon as you're ready. Um, and some, you know, well, I'll take a deposit if I know I've got capacity coming up to, to be able to do that. So this is, I think, an appropriate time then to kind of segue too into how you then went from because that that kind of explains it. And you know, I know in some of the other conversations I've had on in the trenches, like digging into kind of the niche, but it's like to me, it's just like I see the pattern, and so I know it. It's like do something, keep doing it. Doors will open. Keep doing it. Do it well. And then, like, yeah, start to learn the words, like the words that associate you with that group or that mindset. But this is also why I think marketing is so important because I realize so much of it is storytelling and narrative. And so words do have a big impact, like just even the subtlety of words, like misusing it. It's not only, it's like using the right words that you like your people use and they know how to search for it, they know how to find it. It's the next level kind of thing. But that's like kind of how you develop, I think, get really established. The next level I do feel like is that recurring revenue piece. Because what we're talking about in that first part, I think a lot of times, generally speaking, is like lead generation, which is very difficult. Getting started, do, you know, doing the work, all that stuff's t- tough. But this topic is really fascinating to me too. How do you move to a recurring revenue type model? What, and what were like maybe some of the ups and downs of that process? Mm. So, so just to set it out, I started off traditionally on a sort of time materials, either hourly or day rate, time sheeting basis, as you would as a, a freelancer. But I found that problematic, not so much in terms of selling my time, but I found it problematic in terms of getting this sort of consistency of income. And people talk about the feast and famine and you've got too much work and then there's a gap and there's no project. I actually found it a bit more nuanced than that where I'd have a piece of work lined up and I'd be itching to go on the Monday morning, but then the client would be delayed by something or they hadn't prioritized it or someone else they needed hadn't got it. And they're like, oh, so we haven't got it now. We'll do it next week. And so, well, then I've got a gap in my schedule of a whole week. I haven't got something else I can just take off the shelf and do in that week for someone else because no one hasn't. And so you'd end up with this sort of dead time and then consider... Consequently, if you promised others time, it would all sort of crunch together. So I kind of knew that you needed to move away from that. And I'd also done a lot of reading around the concept of like value-based pricing and, and things so that you know, people pay the price of what the work you're doing is, is of value to them, not necessarily the inputs of the costs that it does for you to deliver um, that work, um, which I'm sure you've covered many times. So we don't need to kind of go into that now. But where that kind of led me is I, I think a lot of people would struggle to how do you do value-based pricing on a traditional sort of um, kind of freelance uh, approach where you're just kind of taking a project here, taking a project there. So I, I looked at it kind of the other way around. of like, what do my clients want? What do my customers want? You know, everyone talks about focusing on the customer, what their needs are. And I think I was doing a pretty good job in terms of what they wanted from a delivery point of view. But how was I looking at that from a commercial structuring point of view? How was how are the, the agreements done? And although time materials are simple, that was quite they were people were naturally quite hesitant to it, in as much as it's almost like they're jumping in a taxi with the meter running, but they don't know how long the road is, where the actually where the final destination is, if you're going to get stuck in traffic and it's just going to sit there. Yeah. So, so that would then lead to, okay, can you price this up and you do spend a lot of time 
estimating on things that you didn't really know because even if you're doing the same project for two different people, their input and their approach to it will vary wildly. One client will just get it, others kind of will need a little bit more or quite a lot more support in some cases, which is obviously taking time. And it's like we think you're trading the same thing, but (laughs) you're spending a very different amount of time on those things. So it was really a case of how do you how do you decouple the hours that I was putting in to the service that I was delivering to to clients um, and at the same time sort of solve their requirement of you know you put yourself in their position they just want to know a price they want predictability um, and reassurance I think um, and so that kind of led to just an experiment with one one client um, or someone who actually wanted some recurring work you know and said actually I'll tell you what just model it on the you know i'm working in the membership sector that's very similar to the subscriptions model i.e you know amazon prime netflix your um uk things like national trust or so which you might want to do as well as actually being a member of an organization and people just pay they know what they're going to pay each month and they know what they're going to get or, or what they can get for it so with that like i say i had i just set a kind of a, a monthly fee for working with me for this first client and we just ran with that for you know a few months like and then with that came the revelation of actually that was a an easy sell and i don't say that in a kind of i've somehow deceived them it was more the fact that we cut out all of that waste of well if we do this is it that what's that what's the impact of that all that sort of questions like well look we just do this we get started you pay this much and we'll see how it goes you get to know how we work together we get over that first hurdle and that in itself drove down that sort of time spent closing the sale from potentially sort of days worth of effort for a big project down to now, broadly speaking, a couple of hours of a call and then a proposal just to confirm things and get things going. I don't know if you'll know this, but I'm curious, would that work? This seems great for this particular space. Um, do you think something like that could work um, like outside of freelancing, like in coaching, consulting, advisory? Or do you think it's strictly services? And, and maybe it is. That's what I'm, I'm kind of wondering. Um, no, because I'd actually say that my the kind of work that I do is is at the moment more kind of consultancy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's I look to provide some fairly some consistent services so that I'm becoming more expert in, in the sort of tech that do it. But it's not a case of here it is, do you want it? It is that sort of what do you need? How's it working? That conversation and, we, and a two-way approach. Yeah, you know what I've seen too, and like my experience is like kind of a business owner and somebody who now hires basically the job to be done that I'm hiring for. A lot of times, I'm finding the solution in models like this, and I prefer it as the business owner. I like that I pay my tech team X amount per month, and I can come to them with tickets, do things, whatever. However, they do it. I'm also here's the thing too. It's funny because all I want is convenience. Almost we convenience and, and reliability, convenience and reliability. Whenever anybody, well, uh, on the reliability front, that's that's an immediate like, okay, I'm out. If that's if if that is not if that is proven time and time again to not be reliable, that's obvious, right? So I think a lot of people can get that right. But convenience, like, just make it easy. Like, I don't even care about getting charged extra a lot of times. I just need the work to be done, or I just mm. need it. You know what I mean? And this affords the opportunity for a model like yours, where people can charge extra hours or charge charge whatever, because I'm I'm paying for these kind of services right now. And it's almost like a headache 
to try to get somebody to do like extra if they I'm just saying the opportunity is out there, guys. I don't know if you handle that. Like because you do still have to put hours in. And I know you're not charging at an hour late. How do you kind of manage that process where some things do end up becoming a bigger, bigger thing? Yeah. So you see so you, you, you put up I mean, like any business, you have to you have to monitor your costs as well as the revenue that you're coming in to make sure that you know, you're turning a profit and you're still going to be here tomorrow. And so I, you know, I from my agency days, I, I have the habit of timesheeting. And so I do log very accurately every day where I spend my time, which projects, which clients they're on. And with that, and so I do have a kind of a notional sort of hourly rate to turn that time figure into, in, into sort of a, a financial value. And that then gives me some data that I do monitor on a sort of month-to-month basis of which clients are over, which are under. But the point is that the model I employ is to, as you say, quite rightly, it's convenience. And it's convenience on both sides because it's convenience for the client because they can just say, can you just do that for me? You know, I've had things today where someone's just like, oh, can you just put this, update this message on the website? You know, I wouldn't go out to tender to go and just do some copy editing on a website for someone. But I know, I've, you know, I've got the access. It's a five-minute job. It just solves it. I can be responsive for it. And we don't have to talk about how much it's going to cost, how long is it going to be, and spend all that time. It's just a case of, can you do it? Here you are. It's done. Brilliant. Everyone's happy. And it, it's it's a good feeling all around. And so with that, it gives me the kind of, when I review it on a monthly basis, I can kind of see, did a, do I feel that this client has had good value from what we're doing this month or over the last sort of two or three months? And, and so from that, if there are clients who aren't engaging in the same way, which I don't really have, but if there are ones where I feel they're not really getting what they're paying for, well, then that's a prompt for me to sort of re-engage with them and just check in, make sure they're okay. What can we do? Is What are the challenges? And just kind of build that, again, build that relationship with them. And conversely, if you've got clients who are super active and they've got lots and lots of things going on, then you can have that conversation of, well, actually, we've got quite a lot going on here. Do you want, you know, this? we're kind of pushing up against the limits of your current subscription level. Do you want to continue doing this? Because there's a lot of good work to do and we can, up the level to X, or do you want to sort of scale things back a bit just to fit your consistency? So it gives them options and flexibility, and ultimately they're making the call, but in a way that isn't so granular as whether you spent 15 minutes on something or not. And you, and so, and if I understand this correctly, kind of where you got to then um, on the onboarding, the initial part mm-hmm. versus like where it goes, because I understand you have like flexibility and then you'll shift up and down. But then in the initial part, is it basically like there's always like a, there's a baseline and a minimum? Uh, time investment. Yes, so I do. I do say that there is a subscription start from a certain value, and I would typically say, and to get the most value, you should expect to spend sort of two or three months doing it. So people they don't go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to get you know, I can just do it for a month and everything's sold and I can go away again. I'm very clear at the outset as to what the the expectation is to make it work really well, and I think that. And that's actually a really another reflection. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It's one of these things that I have realized from hindsight when I was doing more project-based things, is you you'd spend all that time building out a project, you get to the end of the project, and then the agency bit would be, oh, well, now you do some support. And everyone's like, oh, but it drops down, you lose the impasse, you kind of go on to sort of the junior who's doing the support. No one's, you know, you've you've lost the sort of impetus, the excitement. 
Whereas by doing this, it's like we've moved away from just one big project with a cliff edge at the end to what everyone always talks about is in terms of that sort of continuous improvement, continuous work. Sure, it will peak when there's a big body, but then it might drift down. But it moves away from that um, sort of, I'm paying just for this and we're building that relationship. And so being able to tell that story at the sales point when you're actually sort of talking with a prospect and say, this is how we work and why it's different. I found that that is beneficial um, for me because it sets out that stall and that expectation right from the get-go. So you haven't got that awkward, oh, we've finished now, but actually now can we just go to whatever the retainer is or something that you want to support? But again, from the, the customer point of view, they then got it. It, it is quite a different prospect, a different offer that's on the table to the to the people who say, well, we'll do this and it's going to cost you that and it's going to take this much time to actually this this person isn't just selling me a service or, a, you know, a bum on a seat for however many days. They're actually invested in me and they want to build that relationship and they want to sort of help my business succeed. And then and that kind of gives them, that, that kind of nicely filters it almost to the clients that I actually would, that would succeed in the way that I'm working. Yeah, it's a, it's fascinating because it's interesting because I, I wonder myself like I see how it works, you know, very well in anybody who's do, delivering like tech solutions. As I might think about, because I'm like I have a constant need. It's like it's easy. It's like if somebody who's just like you know trustworthy, reliable, reg, you know, uh, decently priced and could just like do things that you know w- with you know minimal guidance kind of thing and get it done. And I have people like that. It's just like there's like never there's a never ending amount of work in that capacity. It's fascinating though because I wonder to myself how that might a uh, transition into other focuses, other niches, mm-hmm. um, like marketing, uh, marketing freelancers, or somebody who's doing or sales freelancers. And if a retainer style system can and does work best, or if it could just work, if it could work well as in that co- context in that capacity. Yeah, so I, th- I think it can because actually I took the inspiration from this, not from oh, yeah. kind of the tech, but I took it from yeah. either the membership side of things where you're mm-hmm. paying, you know, but that's you're a member of a professional association or so, but also sort of comparable sort of models. So think about your accountancy. You know, I, I have an accountant. I just pay them a month, um, an annual fee, and they do kind of a few things each year, but they're always there to answer the odd question and things. So they're not on the minutes that are charging for this. Similarly, you think you know, sort of financial planners or so, you know, they will take you know, normally a percentage of your portfolio. So which they're in the envy will be a bit of actually having very something very tangential they can kind of stake their fees against. But it's still this point of you you sort of decouple the actual money that you're charging from away from the service you know, the, the day-to-day delivery of that service. It's more a case of these are the commercial parameters we're working in and then we just get on with the work to do it. So I think it could absolutely work in, in different scenarios. I mean, I had, there's a friend of mine who runs a, an illustration and animation studio, just doing some short sort of animation bits. Um, and we sort of talked about how that model, how this model could work for, for him. And one of the, and I think it's it comes down to how well you kind of understand it, and you pretty much like these things. You have to kind of do it a few times to be able to sell it and tell that story confidently from the the get go when you're talking to a potential new client. But I can totally see how that would work. In the it's like where do people have that need? You know, if it's animation, 
actually, they probably do want to be doing something for certain brands. They'll be wanting to put out fresh new animation on their social channels, you know, once, twice a month. They'll need that little illustration that goes with that blog post, or they need that sort of little bit that needs to sit aside for some mailer that's going out. And sure, they could go and find someone on Upwork or they could do that. But each time that's a hassle and you're not going to get that consistency. Whereas actually, if you just say, we've got on tap our own sort of creative force or or creative team who know us, we've done all the context stuff, you can shoot them over a brief in the morning and they'll deliver it that afternoon. That's like having someone sat next to you in the office with that skill set who can just do it but a fraction of the cost of employing someone when you only need them on a sort of fractional basis. Yeah, it's uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like uh, I, I get it. I'm sure people are listening. Like I'm, right now, my kind of wheels are turning. Like how I might introduce or um, you know get it kind of going. But I I really like it. I love the model. It does seem really well aligned to with the uh, with the business with the you know the person you that that, that you'd be kind of delivering the service for. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about too was uh, kind of since we're while we have time, if depending on how deep we can go into this, was the important because you, when you kind of kind of alluded to this when you were like oh, when the, tip, the typical um, agency model of freelancers like there's a drop off point, there's a cliff just when it ends. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I'm getting at is like the, the question about onboarding and customer satisfaction and keeping them going because I'm sure a, a client to you is a lot more valuable. The one you have after you've got closed them, then getting a new one. Mm-hmm. And so, anything that you do in that early time frame to get them committed over the long haul, any any lessons learned, best practices? Sure. So, the apps, you know, actually, I absolutely have a standard onboarding process. It's so that I'm delivering a consistent service, and we kind of get things going. I wouldn't do it in the. You know, it is that kind of consistency and professionalism, I take it, rather than a sort of, you know, almost reeling them in in any sort of um, the way that's kind of somehow sort of pulling the wool over their eyes and kind of going, you know, trapping them into some long-term deal or something, because that's that's not what I'm about, and that's not going to be the, the path to success. And, and to, to be clear on that, I didn't even think that you were. No, but, no, no, but, but I think but, some but, people... But some people are out there, right? Yeah. yeah. So some people do that, right? That's the only... I want to bring that mm. up because... I was thinking about that at the other day. I'm like, like when I hear things, I'm like, yeah, well, of course. Like, why would you do that? But, but I know there are companies out there and people like that that that's a, exactly what they do. And I've I've had conversations with people who get that kind of done on like small scale with things. And this is not um, broad brushstrokes. I use Upwork, but on people like on Upwork or Fiverr or something like that. Strange stuff. It's not for everybody. It's not everybody's like that. But it does happen. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't no, mean to no, interrupt. No. But I just but want to be clear about right. that. Well, I just I just want to be kind of clear because there are, if you like, more shady sort of elements of if you like the subscription model or the recurring revenue thing, you think about gyms as the classic one, you know, they're all welcome. They've got a great onboarding experience, but you try and leave and, you know, the gates are up every single time. Whereas I see it as, I see it as a privilege to work with the people I work with and I enjoy doing it. And so they should want to stay rather than want to leave. Um, And that's kind of, the foundation that I have in terms of sort of that onboarding is that when people do start, we do start working together. Yes, there's a clear process, so they kind of feel that they've they've made the right decision there. Um, you've solved that sort of post-sales kind of doubt that people naturally have of after they've committed to go, is, that, oh, is it a good thing? You want to have that reassurance and kind of make that those first few steps very, very valuable. And then you've got 
you know the, the foundations in place upon which you can then build that sort of long-term relationship on a genuine sort of trust-based model where you're working to eat with in a more sort of collegiate way rather than um, uh, the sort of commercial element to it. And that's actually where there's a really interesting parallel with the sort of memberships and association space. If someone, there's this concept of like you win a member in those first few weeks of membership, they might join for a year, but you've got yeah that first month to kind of really sort of welcome them, deliver some real member value to them, make them understand your organisation, get them through it and get them onboarded. And it's it's almost like within that month, they'll decide this is a place for me and I'm going to renew in 11, 12 months' time or not. And once you've kind of got them past that first renewal and then they're into that cycle and they you know, obviously they need to be consistently receiving the value that or the perceived value that they get from that membership fee. But once you've kind of, as long as you sort of set that up from the outset and then you can deliver on that, then if you like the, the member lifetime value or the customer lifetime value is um, you know, it's pretty high once you've um, you know, once you've got that foundation in place. Let me ask this, maybe and maybe this will be the our final question here, but in terms of like also how you scale that, this is more scalable than uh, of course taking the client projects. And I ran into that problem, that challenge when kind of I inadvertently kind of built an agency mm. and um, kind of had a it was a little bit of that feast or famine. And there were ways I I I dealt with it to avoid big drop-offs, but it wasn't as good as like recurring revenue type stuff. It wasn't exactly that model. It was more like split pay over mm. a certain period of time, which isn't isn't the same. Yeah. It's not the same at all. So, but but in terms of like um, scaling this, then with a team um, and making it bigger than yourself. Well, let me let me ask this: like, if you if this is a model, is this a model that somebody who's a solo freelancer type person could do and could implement themselves just by themselves? Absolutely, well, that's what I am. Yeah, no, that's what I've done. For but the last you have started. Years. Yeah, but but you started mm. to grow, and you that's so yeah. I'm curious about that too. Yes. So on the basis of this, we talked earlier about not needing to do sort of outbound marketing if you kind of get known for it and you're in, in that niche. For the last 12 months, I've been at capacity and turning work away um, or only being able to take on a new project when another one has naturally kind of had a big hump of work. And then we know that they're going to be on a more uh, sort of a baseline sort of element of, um, of continuation or other you know, body of work's done so they've dropped down so there's a bit more capacity there. Um, so I've, I've had a few forays into scaling it um, which sort of lots, lots of learnings but I haven't cracked it yet. Um, uh, instantly had a really good conversation with um, another actually client um, and this is kind of really exemplifying the, the kind of relationships I have. Um, this afternoon, I was talking with a client who has built remote teams in and, and sort of the pitfalls that they've gone through, how they're going to work, and how you know the, the keys to success and how they've done it, and just sort of riffing with them on how to do it. And this is someone who's paying me to do things for them without sort of trading almost expertise in different ways. Um, and so that's my, you know, the big focus that I need to be doing because uh, I'm now at that that juncture where I either stay at capacity and have a nice job but it's not really a business um or i build it into a business that i can then grow and become sort of the the captain of rather than the full engine room if that makes sense it does it does um anything that you figure like in terms of that process anything you've learned in terms of 
unexpected hurdles maybe that you've had to overcome or things that you've learned in terms of like best practices? Again, kind of come back mm. to best practices, just even from your experience of um, introducing that, starting to say, put together a team, starting to, especially in the context of working with clients. Mm-hmm. So what, what I've, and actually this is in talking with clients, what I've found is that, and this is again, what they've said directly to me, is that where they value me is what I do is because I can sort of, I've got the sort of emotional intelligence to understand what they need and how to interact with them, as well as the expertise to be able to deliver it. And that's kind of a bare combination that they're struggling to find elsewhere. But I think that I'm now sort of thinking, well, actually, that's that is my sort of USP and what I can deliver. But how do I, where am I spending my time? Because actually, I really enjoy doing that sort of consultancy. But then if I have to go away and do the work, that's where, you know, I'm then losing time that I could be delivering that to someone else. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on in terms of bringing in someone who can kind of understand what's needed, but then they can just take the task and run with it rather than like, me necessarily handing it over or so. Um, so, you know, like I said, I've had a few sort of false starts, as it were. Well, not false starts, it's two different generations, but kind of learning points where I've used um, sort of freelancers and, uh, and people to do this. But I found that that's, that's been quite challenging in terms of getting that that sort of buy-in because traditionally freelancers are still on that transactional mode of wanting a piece of work to do and then and then moving on um, whereas actually I feel now I've got to that point of no I need to build a team I need to understand what I'm doing what the values of the business are what kind of makes us tick how we do things around here and with that that's again where the sort of you know, the subscription model and the recurring revenue element to it um, provides some certainty because I know that we're going, we have, we've got the work there to do and we and there's there's value that we can deliver, that kind of takes away the uh, a lot of the risk from my mind in terms of I now feel confident to sort of invest in making in building that team and investing in people to be able to to do that and thus sort of grow the business at that scale rather than being so reliant on the you know the one-off invoices here and there that may or may not come. Yeah, and the point I, or the thing I was going to jump on is just like on that point of like hiring, outsourcing, uh, you know, like sub sourcing, sub outsourcing. <laughs> who knows? Like on certain things, it's like just like take it. You know, I think there's a lot of probably ways to do it. You can go dive into the hiring contractor, part time, full time, whatever. But it seems like maybe one cautious approach to it is just taking it very slowly and uh, working on small things that you can, like the smallest but most significant things uh, or simplest things, maybe in terms of complexity. They could, but but that you could outsource that are clearly menial, maybe mm. um, or whatever, because there's always something like that. And starting with that as kind of a a, a starting point, because I think a lot of people kind of freeze as soon as it comes to like other people being involved. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to be that intimidating, even though I hate the hiring process. But I find that you know if I just kind of go slow with it, and I'm like, okay, this is the particular task I need done, and if I zoom in, I can usually find something or somebody good enough, and then things can can go from there. I don't know if you have any kind of final comments on that. Yeah, so I, I kind of tried that, and I have found a few very discreet pieces of work that I have had success, mm. and it's nice experimenting with that and making it work. But just the nature of the work that we do, it's... It requires higher level for what you do. It, it requires... I'm, higher level is not necessarily... Right, but it's, it's, it relies on context. 
yeah. and this is this is okay again the kind of point of that long-term relationship you need to it's successful because someone says i need this bit of work doing and i go okay i've got all the background i know that's the answer that's going to deliver the, the result you need you don't have to spend days explaining to me how your business works who your customers are etc it's just this is what we need to do and so it can be a sort of half hour task to do it but then that flip needs to sort of filter down in that the people who I need to build in my team need to also have that level of understanding of both how the business works, but also the clients that they're interacting with. And that's in order to do it. And I, I think I do take the point of there may well be sort of smaller tasks that could be easily sort of, or more easily sort of toe in the water subcontracted. But when I've done that and I've done the analysis of where am I spending my time, what are the things I enjoy doing, what are the things that I don't want to do, or I find I feel I'm not being particularly time effective with, then that's the bulk of it. And that a lot of that isn't easily outsourced without having someone who is yeah. has got that context, which has now sort of led me into the more actually, I know I if you know, I've tried the alternatives and it's now just confirmed that I need to actually invest in building a team and have someone yeah. or people who are are there for the, you know. The medium to long term. It's almost it's this could be a whole topic in and of itself. It's like kind of almost like that no man's land of uh of solo to team. Because mm-hmm. there's something like that there that you're describing. I'm like, yeah, I see that. Like I've seen that in multiple cases where I'm like, because it does, it absolutely depends on the context. Um, broadly speaking, too. Like whether you want more of a partner or you want more of like a subcontractor, because you know, this is menial, it could be and it can be easily automated. And you just don't have a piece of software for it, but a human could do it. There's a, there's an in between there too, mm. and a lot of things. So it almost it almost feels like a, a no man's land a little bit that that transition. So maybe we'll bring you back on once you've once you've gone through this process a little bit more. Yeah, once I, once I can sell them. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you're right. Like I say that conversation I was having this afternoon. They're saying actually going from like one to two or one to three is the really difficult bit. That's yeah. the big wall you've got to climb. Yeah, hiring someone when you're a team of three. Well, that's quite straightforward because you've you've already worked out what the sort of um you know yeah. the pitfalls are, what you need yeah. to do to get someone on. You've got that framework in place. So it's mm-hmm. that's the challenge. But that's awesome. Well, I know we could go on and on, Edward. I know we've had a lot of conversations about this stuff too. And it's been great getting to know you and learn more about what you're doing. I want to shine the spotlight on you though for a second. Tall projects, where can people reach out to find you, connect with you? And again, you're specifically for membership bodies or working people with membership questions. But I'll let you make that pitch and, and let people know where people can find you. Yeah, you can, you can find me at uh, tallprojects.co.uk. Um, and if you're a membership body or association um, looking to improve your digital presence, then um, I'll be more than happy to hear from you and see if we can help. Awesome. I love it. Edward, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, man. It was a real pleasure. Likewise, Tom. Always good to speak to you. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. Just go to tommorcus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review. And that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tommorcus.com or head over to the website tommorcus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty. Stay frosty.